Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Dutch's potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Welcome to the Delvin Cox Experience, the podcast in which each week I am on a one-man mission to unite our culture through diversity. I'm your host, Delvin Cox, and with me today on the pod, back to the experience, straight from St. Louis, my boy Bobby Dollars. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. I'm good. How your night going? It's going good, man. It's going pretty good. That's what's up, man. This is like uh, number three. Yeah? Yeah. You going for the trifecta. (laughs) <laughs> I That's got all thing. the experience. I got all the experience I can use here. <laughs> Definitely. So, as always, we like to start the podcast off with the five for five. Five questions, five answers to get the ball rolling. Bobby, are you ready? I'm waiting on you. Perfect. Question number one, Coke or Pepsi? Oh, man, uh, I'm going to go Pepsi on that. Okay, okay. Question number two. Okay. We're going to talk hip-hop for a second. All right. <laughs> what rapper do you think put St. Louis on the map? In your opinion. Oh, man. Doesn't have to be oh, well-known man. rappers because, you know, like, in Miami, I would probably say either Luke or Poison Clan. Yeah. Um, you know what? It's hard to say, man, because it's a, it's a long, long, long history of rappers, man, and a lot of underground music, too, like. Hell, we even, I even owned Infamous Records, you know what I'm saying, here in the city for like eight years. So, like, it's it's been a, it's been a lot of crews that made it and did a lot and then wound up getting shot up due, due to the street shit, you know what I'm saying, and and ended up not really being where they could. But I would say if we're going to just say, like, straight, when people say St. Louis and then they categorize it into rap, I'm going to have to say it would be Nelly, man, because... um you know, because he uh like Nelly wasn't Nelly wasn't rapping in the very, very beginning. You know what I'm saying? His homeboy Ali was trying to get some shit done. He was making beats and all of that. And um we knew Ali from this barbershop called Leroy's back in the day. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, we we did a lot of music, man. We worked with a whole, whole lot of different underground artists like True to Life and Family of Kings, real hip hop records. Uh, my my frat brother Charlie Chan and DJ Sir Thorough, like we used to, we used to mess with a lot of people. Even my dude Aunt C from Universal Records, man, like we used to do a lot. So, 
I would just say Nelly, though, because he was the last one that came out, and now he's synonymous with the name St. Louis. I agree. I agree. Question number three. Yeah. Yeezys or Air Forces? Man. What kind of shit is this? What? I gotta ask it. I gotta ask it. Some, some people like the some people like the Yeezy shoes. Some people nah, like Air Forces. I'm, nah, I'm I'm gonna have to go with the Air Forces over the Yeezys, man. I'm not I'm not a fan of none of that stuff that uh, a lot of these rappers be putting out there and endorsing. So I'm gonna go with the Air Forces, bro. I feel like <laughs> Air Forces is weird to me because when we was coming up, Air Forces was kind of like known as the cheap shoe. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like a it was being cheap and name brand at the same time. Yeah, and now yeah. it's kind of like the shoe that everybody wear. Like you got to have a pair of Air Forces in your closet. Well, let, let's um, let's let's jump into the St. Louis way of Air Force thinking. Okay, um, Air Force ones are awesome when you get the white ones. Okay, yes. um, as long as they are white, you good. You can wear them with any fit, any anything. Um, you will see a majority of the old heads like myself and some of the the, the down to earth cats in St. Louis wearing the white ones. The the uh the bangers, you know what I'm saying? They wear the blue ones, they wear the red ones, different colors mixed in and stuff. But if you're a nigga right now walking around with some black air forces on, you don't have no love for yourself at all. <laughs> that is, hey, that's accurate. That, that nigga's a murderer. You don't even want that nigga <laughs> on your block. No. Don't don't drop him off at home. Don't <laughs> don't do nothing. I don't care. If, even if you even if you work at Amazon and he there too, you just tell him, man, I'll pay for an Uber for you, bro, and you can get home. <laughs> <laughs> they got on black air forces. Leave him alone, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Question number four. Since you're in hip hop like I am, what's yeah. the best rap album you've heard so far this year? This year. Oh man, um, what have I listened to that I actually like this year? I really, honestly, bro, like I really haven't heard anything that has really kept my attention. You huh? know what I'm saying? Interesting. Like, I, I mean, like you, like I'm an ex rap head, man. So you know, I, I like I like content in my music. Like I like cats that tell stories and and have meanings behind what it is they're saying. I don't really dig a lot of music where they're just talking about. You know, I'm going to steal your chick. I'm going to screw your chick. Uh, We're going to do drugs and kill people this week. Like, I, like that shit cool, but you only need to hear that on one or two songs on a whole album, man. Like, you got to varietize your album. You got to have some party music. You got to have a little bit of political music. You got to have some some gangster shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got you to gotta touch bases with every audience when you create, man. You know what I'm saying? And if that's not what you're doing, I'm not with the mumble rap. I'm, I'm not... You know, I I don't like I'm I mean I, I like some of the drill rappers, but I don't really vibe with them like that because to me I feel like being a nigga from the streets, man, you just don't get on no record and tell everybody what you done done yeah. in the streets. You know what I'm saying? Like I I don't volunteer information, so <laughs> <laughs> so so I have three for you that you might like based okay. on what you said. Okay, the, the new Nas album that came out earlier this year. Okay, okay, really good. It's produced by um Hit, Hit Boy. Yeah, that was a really good one. Um, Az, Az back? Yeah, like a couple of weeks ago, I want to say it came out. What? Az it is, back? It is really good. 
It's really, really good. He, is he signed to Nas's label though? Because I know him and Nas was running. I think he ha- he's independent. I think he has his own label or something like that. Okay, okay. But yeah, I, I heard it. Want to say I heard it last week? And it's really good. And uh, J Cole's album's really good. Damn, uh, damn, they all East Coast. Okay, um, I can't think of no no Midwest <laughs> um, dudes that came out in this shit. My son probably know. Like he, my son is a lot younger than me. Yeah, man, that, I, he puts me on the stuff. Yeah, man, when I was growing up, I was a West Coast dude. I listened to all West Coast rap. I'm talking about uh Sebo and and Brother Lynch hung and um, you know, um uh, Mac Mac Dre and E40, too short. You know, like I, I listened to all that type of music when I was coming up. I did too. You know? I listened to a lot of Pac, a lot of digital yeah. underground, a lot of Q, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Spice One, DJ Quit, you know what I'm saying? Like that's the type of shit I was on, but I would say if I had to choose all three of them right now, due to the circumstances of the way the world is, I would say J. Cole. J. Cole's album's really good. It's really yeah, good. I, I would say, because I heard his album, I heard some of Nas's, but I didn't even know AZ had an album out. But, like, I'm, I'm going with the relevance factor. And Nas isn't going to be as relevant to what's going on in the world right at this moment because he's a Jay-Z era. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he's yeah. a pop, he's a pop era. He's a big error, you know? So no matter what he do, ain't nobody going to really trip off his music like they should. Yeah. Nas album feels more like, um, grown man music, adult music, yeah. adult hip hop. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's going to be hard to get some of the, the millennials and some of the youngsters to actually stream and rock with some of the shit he doing unless he got, Kodak Black or somebody on a song. You he, know he what got, I'm saying? He got some younger cats on there. But it's, like I said, and yeah, Hit Boy. Hit Boy kind of makes that type of... Them, yeah, type them of beats. Music. Yeah, them beats. So it's, 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 it picked up a lot of traction. Okay. But, but yeah, but you're correct. Yeah, he has to have that younger connection with those people because a lot of that stuff goes over their heads. Yeah, man. And then, and they don't really care to, to understand the styles that, um, that they had back then because Nas was a storyteller too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they don't know the difference in telling stories and actually getting out here and doing dirt so you'll have something to talk about. You know what I'm saying? Like, their content is is the dirt they doing. I still don't agree with that. Oh, yeah. That is a fact. <laughs> yeah. All right, question five. If you could pick any two rappers to be in a versus together, who are you picking? Oh, man. The whole production of verses, you know, like the whole big old concert type thing. They do they they do their twenty songs. Who are you picking to go against each other? Man, if I had the if I wanted to do like an ultimate versus, and we going we going off of like ca- a catalog of music, um, I would I would say off of a straight catalog of music, and we talking the artistry. I would say it would one would have to be Jay Z. Okay. And either he would have to go up against Drake or Lil Wayne. That's that's a good one. Those are, that's actually a pretty good one. Because I mean, I'm thinking like if, like I said, we're talking catalogs and hits and and you know songs where you've done uh, um, features on and they've been hits and you know what I'm saying. Like that's where we at with that. Okay, I like that. Yeah. I like that one. One of the ones I came up with a while back. I don't think it's gonna happen period, because of health reasons and things like that. I thought of yeah. uh, Scarface and Ice Cube. Ooh, that would be good, man. But you know, Face ain't, Face was way too underground for somebody like Cube. 
Yeah, like definitely. like Cube is gonna be mainstream simply off of his productions of movies and stuff too, you know, because Cube got songs and movies and all kinds of stuff. He didn't wrote songs for movies and it make a difference, you know what I'm saying? But you're right though, that would be a good that would be something. Face, man. face of beast, man. Scarface is that dude. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that, man. That would be something awesome, bro. Yeah, yeah, so, I like that. I want to touch, touch base with you because a couple of things, like, you know, one, you was talking about the hip-hop scene that you was into. Two, which we'll talk about in a minute, yeah, um, I really appreciate, well, we can, we can start off with that one. I really mm-hmm. appreciate the conversations you've been having lately on your podcast about mental health, mental illness, in terms of depression and things like that. I think the whole thing you've been doing with that is dope. So the first thing I want to ask you is, how did you come up with that concept? What made you want to start doing it? And how did it come together? Oh, man. Um, man, I don't know, Dale. Like, I don't know, man. Like, sometimes I've heard my daughter and my wife say stuff about being depressed and stuff like that. And um, and I and I kept thinking in my mind, like, damn, it's just depression thing big on women because every time I'm on social media, it's always the women talking about having bad days and being depressed and all of that. And then I would see it in my household and it kind of started to bother me because I've never been the type of individual that felt like that kind of stuff played a part in a strong individual's lifestyle. Like I felt like being depressed and having anxiety and all that was just a mental lapse. Like somebody that was just weak minded and allowed things like pressure and stress to take over their mental, their thought state, their mindset. <clears throat> and, you know, lo and behold, um, after experiencing it with a few people and talking to a few people and getting a better understanding of the symptoms and, and where it leads people mentally, I started to feel, uh, um, I don't know, I'm a compassionate dude, man. And I, and I, and I started to feel a, a certain kind of way. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, damn, you know, these people really suffering mentally. Like, I know I'm a strong dude and I have my moments sometimes when I need people to talk to, you know, but I've always been the backbone to a whole lot of everything. And, um, you know, my strength play a huge part in the evolution of a whole lot of people here in the city and, and my family and all of that. You know what I'm saying? And it just got to a point, man, to where I kind of heard it so much and people talked about it so much that. I felt like I was missing something like it was something that was flying past me and I just wasn't focused enough to even pay attention to it. So I dove in man, to just start doing a little bit of research and start talking to people and having conversations with people. And before you know it, it just evolved into me feeling like I needed to do my part. I had a role I needed to play. You know what I'm saying? So what was that like going down this rabbit hole, this, this journey, shall I say, of finding out more about depression and how Cause like you said before, when you first heard the expression of things, like you kind of like, oh, this might be just a woman thing. Yeah. I don't know too much about it. What was it like for for you to actually dig into it and hear? Because one of the cool things that you did was you had other people come on your show and express how they felt about it, how it affected them. So what was it like for you to get into this and get into these other conversations and hear their stories behind it? Man. <clears throat> honestly bro like that rabbit hole deep man that 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 sucker it, it, it it's a long long way down man and um 
I guess I started to realize and figure out that a lot of this mental stuff and a lot of the stuff that was going on really starts with the generation before the people that are actually experiencing it. Um, it's, it's more like, um, like when I did my research and I started figuring things out, it was more of a thing to me where it was like people weren't, weren't happy in their homes and the parental side of it was the major factor. And the reason why a lot of the kids develop this and then start to elongate it, you know what I'm saying? And make it a, a second, like a second nature part of their life, like a part of their home and a part of everything that they do, like the OCD and the, um, not necessarily the bipolarism, but more so the AC, what is it, ADHD and different stuff like that. Like a lot of that stuff is developed in their home, man, because you have parents that consistently make their kids sit still, go sit down. Go chill, go sit down, go play the game or something, go sit down. So when that kid finally gets an opportunity to exude that energy and, and, and move around, it's like they can't stop. It, they won't stop because they know the environment that they, they bringing themselves up in and that they in all the time is causing them to be pent up and to bottle up, <clears throat> excuse me, to bottle up everything that is their character. So that's why you get guys that, sometimes even at our age that don't never want to go home you'd be like damn bro you've been over six hours man you ain't ready to go to the crib yeah like what the hell you know <laughs> and you're like no nah, man shit let's play the game no nah, man let's do this like you know and it's and it's just a mental thing man it's a mental lapse like <clears throat> they don't know no better because their whole life it was always them being told to sit still you know especially the ones and some of the ones that have to sit still as kids end up in jail as as teenagers and as young adults because when they do get out there, they too active. You know what I'm saying? The old term, like this might do his job too good. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yes. like you'll get, you'll get those. And um, that's just, but that's just the way I interpreted it, you know? And, and as far as um, the depression and things like that go, I think the depression really comes from not having stuff, man, not, not being able to, to reach out and grab the things that everybody else is, you know, like, kids fall into a stupor when everybody around them look better than them, dress better than them, eat better than them. You know what I'm saying? So much so to a point to where the hatred starts to be build and become a demon inside of them. And then before you know it, they are out here on some maniac type shit, doing some stuff they shouldn't be doing and getting involved in stuff they shouldn't. And when they get that taken away from them or when they don't have that avenue to walk down anymore, it's more of a depressive state because they can't, they can't bring themselves to remove themselves from that situation. Like it's always playing in their head. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's kind of why some of the ladies have to deal with the depressive state because they overthink everything. You know, uh, I want to say at least 60% of women kind of overthink. And when they do, they they're stuck in their mind. They're stuck in their head. It's just a position that they don't want to let themselves get out of because they feel like they lose a control. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So let me ask you this. Why do you think there's such a stigmatism with mental health, particularly in the black community? Because you always see psychiatrists like white families when something's wrong with their child, they take them to a psychiatrist, they go get therapy. Even as adults, therapy is a constant conversation in other families and other communities. But when it comes to the black community, you always hear the type of thing like, oh, that's just our crazy cousin. He's always yeah. in the cousin in the corner tripping. Don't mind him. Yeah. Why do you think there's such a stigmatism with going to get help for that type of thing? 
Man, I want to say basically that's just because even like with us black men, um, with the old uh, saying, black men don't go to the doctor. You know what I'm saying? We don't never go to the doctor. I think um, the whole fact with that, bro, is just that black people in general just don't like being told what to do. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's hard being an adult, being told by another adult, and maybe a good 60 through 80% of the time, an adult that's younger than you are, you know, where you feel like in your mind, you know a little more because you've been around the block two or three more times than they have. You in your 60s, this person 35 telling you, well, everything that you're doing is all wrong for your lifestyle and you need to change this and you got to do that. It's kind of a plantation mindset. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've been told what to do so much by the police, by our bosses, by our parents, by, you know what I'm saying? By every extremity around us that we know when we finally get the opportunity to do what we want, we're not going to let nobody take that away from us. So yeah, I ain't going to the doctor because if I go to the doctor, he going to tell me I got to take all these damn pills and tell me I can't eat my bacon fat and can't, can't do this. Nah, fuck that. I want that. So I'm, I'm not going, I'm going to do what I, 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 I be in the hospital before they tell me I can't do this, that, and the other, you know, um, a lot of some of the black women is the kind of the same thing. Nah, nah, this person ain't going to tell me how to raise my kids and how to do this, that, and the other. I, I know what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm the mama. I'm, you know, it's just one of those things where we get to that point in our minds and in our hearts to where we feel like we being wronged by society because our whole bringing from Africa to America has been manipulation and stuff that we've had to feed into our entire lives. I mean, our whole lives, even me at 44 has been, told that we've been slaves and we've been beaten and we've been this and we've oh, we're owed this and 40 acres and a mule and 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 make sure you can get reparations and medicaid and if it's free get you some food stamps get on section eight so you ain't got to pay that much for rent like the, let the white folks pay that kind of money you shouldn't have to and you know like all of that stuff man after it's embedded in your mind for so long bro it's like a website it's a redirect Every time you go one direction, you redirect it right back to the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? So I think that kind of plays a huge part, you know, just not being one to be told what to do. I agree. I think that's unfortunate that that's something that's kind of plagued our communities. But let, let me ask you this. How do we combat things like that? How do we kill these stereotypes and these stigmatism to get black men in particular, go out there and get the help that they need, whether it's mental help, whether even going to the doctor and they get checkups, because that's another thing that plagues us, because you, if you look at the life expectancy of black men in particular, it's a lot old. lower 50 than, years old. than other races, and the crazy thing about it is, people like to blame it on gun violence and things like that, That while that does play a part into it, it's also just health issues, like Black men getting cancer, getting colon cancer, having heart attacks, getting things that are, that at one point could have been detectable, but because they failed to go to the hospital or the doctor to get checkups, couldn't find it. Next thing you know, 50 years old, pass away. Yeah, man. I think um, the way to combat that, bro, the way, in my opinion, this is just the way that I feel. It's the way that I think about the situation. The way to get past a lot of that, man, is black folks, man, and black men in general, especially men our age, need to stop being so damn scary, man. Like, we too afraid, bro. Like, that's that's the number one problem. We just too afraid. Like, the police are afraid to do their job, so they shoot people. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
doctors are afraid of malpractice. So that's why you only got a certain amount of surgeons, a select amount of people that ain't afraid to grab that knife. Do, do the worst to you to make you better. You see what I'm saying? Black people, yeah. we, we, we're afraid, bro. We, we're afraid of doing everything the right way and, and, live, and living a boring life. You know what I'm saying? You hear you hear black people say all the time about white people. Hey, he all plain and they all bland and plain and shit. They don't do nothing. Look how they dress. Uh, you know, we we make fun of that, but they stable and they 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 mentally correct and they chilling and their kids are happy. And when they pull out of their garage, you might laugh at their car and all of that kind of shit. But these the same families that every time you look up, they on vacation in Aruba and Mexico and. You know what I'm saying? All these places because they treating themselves and they're not making a fool out of themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think a lot of us are just generally afraid of failing. We're afraid of being told what to do and realizing that what these people are saying is correct and we've been wrong all along. You know, um, we're afraid of death. You know, we're afraid of, um, I mean, it's just, it's just a generalization, but we're afraid of a lot of things that can actually help our lives. You know what I'm saying? And um, until we actually can stop being afraid to go to the doctor, um, when we can stop being afraid to keep our mouth shut and actually listen, because when you listen and you're learning, you know what I'm saying? When, when, we, when we can actually sit down and not be afraid to read the room, we'll pick better friends and have better, better relationships with people. All of that kind of stuff, man, it's just those little things, I think, in general, that would actually combat some of the, the stuff that go on amongst us. I won't say white folks and Mexicans and other Browns and all that, but just us blacks in general. Okay. To switch gears a little bit, I want to talk to make it a little bit more of a lighter topic. Cause we started yeah. out heavy. <laughs> let me, let me ask you about this. You mm-hmm. were talking about, uh, we were talking about hip hop earlier. You're talking about your label and stuff like that. How did that begin? How did you even start up? How did you even get to the process? Of like, I want to start a label. <laughs> I want to start developing artists essentially. Man, um, I don't, I don't know, bro. Like, I'm just one of them kind of dudes, Devin, man, where I feel like if it's something that I want to do or it's something that I really like and I, and I admire, I want to get my hands dirty, man. I want to, I want to be a part of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I'm not one of them kind of guys that like to just sit back and wait every week to watch the TV show. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather just sit down and write my own. And then that way I know what's going to happen. Like, I don't, I guess it's me just controlling my situation, being able to control me and what I do. And um, I, I remember, I think I was a sophomore in high school, man, and we had a little talent show. And bro, like um, <laughs> at the talent show the year before our freshman year, we lost to the, to the juniors who are now the seniors. And we was cool with these cats. They played football with us and everything. And they was uh, one of them was an actual DJ and the other one's rap. So they rap, man, and they blew it away, bro. Like we lost, we came in like fourth our freshman year. We was like, oh no, nah, man, like this ain't right. So the next year <laughs> we had another talent show. And within having that talent show, everybody was like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna write us a song and we're gonna do our own song. And this time uh, we're gonna beat them because it's gonna be a um an organic song, basically, something we wrote. And I went, man, and fucking listened to uh, <laughs> listen to Paperboy. I don't know if you remember him. He had a song called Diddy back in the day. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and I, I rewrote his whole third verse, bro. <laughs> <laughs> 
And when I rewrote the verse, we went to um to the little session to rehearse it at my at my people house, and I spit the verse, and my dude was like, "Damn, nigga, that sound familiar as a and I'm like, what you talking about? What you talking about? I don't know what you talking about. He's like, hold on, man. That's Diddy. He's like, hey, that's Paperboy, man. I heard that song. <laughs> <laughs> so they sat down with me and made me rewrite the whole verse that I had did for the, the song. And when I wrote the verse, they was like, damn, bro. They was like, that sound pretty good. So we did the song. We wound up coming in second, actually. Because this time around, not only did they rap and had a DJ, they had some little chicks that were seniors, too, dancing with them. And it looked like a straight show on stage. So they they beat us. We wound up coming in second. And um, after that, I kind of just sat down and started writing. You know what I'm saying? Just like putting everything that we was doing in the streets and not necessarily like the stuff that was going on, but the things, the situations that we was putting ourselves in. I was leaving open-ended songs on situations that we was getting ourselves involved in. And um, I was just writing the stuff down, man. And then one day a beat came on and I started saying like talking what i had wrote when my dude was like nah man that sound fire bro he's like man y'all he's like that's like some pimp c and, and the bun b type stuff he's like that's some eight ball mjg type stuff hold on man and and then he put another beat on and i went and kind of like started trying to catch the rhythm and everything and then my homeboy grabbed another sheet i wrote and he started saying the next kind of little part and before you know it we had actually came up with a little song and uh, the song was called Don't Let Me Get to My Trunk. I remember that. <laughs> that That's a, a good name. Very, very first song I had ever wrote. And um, we went to this little dude. He was like 15 years old and had a little recording studio in his, in his crib. And his, his mom and dad let us come over, but they had they made us wait till after dinner. And, uh, <laughs> and we went over there and recorded the song, man. And it just started from there. So what was that like when you started making this music and stuff like that. In, in the St. Louis scene, it had to be very interesting yeah. doing it and kind of trying to find your footing. It was fun, man, but it was hard, bro. Like, because when we did it, we did like maybe, we did a small little like three song, little, little album type of thing, little three song, little EP. And the cats in the hood liked it. Like everybody was digging the music. They was like, yeah, man, y'all sound fire. Y'all like the next UGK, man. Y'all like the next this. So I'm like, all right. I'm like, I think uh, we're going to go on here and start us a small little business. So I want to say 2000, I got married. And then in 2001, I hit a lick and came up on some paper. I mean, like some real money. So I went in um, Holiday Bernadette Brown, Bernadette M. Brown Esquire. I remember running into her one day and she told me, you know, I'm a, uh, an entertainment attorney and this, that and the other. I thought she was trying to holler at me, but she had seen the name. We back then we used to wear our, our label and our name record name. I mean, our rap name on our baseball jerseys and stuff like that. So she seen the name of the label and realized that the name was a name that had just popped up in her new um her new artist. No, no, it was like a business thing. She was a lawyer, so like when new businesses popped up back then the lawyers would get the, the name of the businesses and the address and all of that stuff. So they could call them and say, Hey, if you need representation and all of that, you know what I'm saying? And, um, she came to me and she was like, you know what? I seen that name in my Rolodex or my, whatever she called it. Uh, she was like, are you a new company? And I was like, yes, ma'am. We just started the business like six months ago, five months ago. And she was like, are you looking for representation? You need a, an attorney. And 
she gave me her business card. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, wow, you like right around the corner from where I live. She was in Berkeley and we was living in Berkeley, too. So um, she's like, I am. And next thing I know, man, we just created a relationship and I was paying her a retainer. Um, I think I was giving her like $1,500 a month, man. And um, back then, back in the early 2000s, and she was signing all our contracts and reading everything and, you know, just doing lawyer type shit, you know. Um, but it was fun, man. It was hard, but it was fun, bro. And just a regular recording process. Let me ask you this. Mm. What were some of the cool moments you had doing this type of thing? Some of the cool artists you got to work with, had a chance to mess with and make music with? Oh, man. Um, I remember one one moment that stand out in my head is uh, 1998, man. Um, or was it 98? Nah, it wasn't 98. Yes, it was. It was 1998 when we were getting, when we was really getting the business going because I didn't actually buy my LLC until uh, 2001. But I um, had started formulating the business in 1997, two years after I graduated from college. I mean, graduated from high school. So um, we was, <laughs> so we was at night at the last Freaknik down in Atlanta, 1998. And I remember uh, running into some cats, man. I don't even remember their names, but they was from North Carolina. And these cats turned out to be in a whole bunch of different videos, like about a year later, um, as being some of the biggest drug dealers in North Carolina. And they was like, (laughs) they was like all on the, uh, all on the like uh, um, murder tapes or whatever they was called back then. I can't think of the name on, but the niggas was on there, man. And, I remember the night that the cats bought us like 20 pizzas from Domino's and was smoking with us. We had went to Club Nicky's. Uh, we met we met Luke and we met the dude, No Bone or whatever his name was, with the with the crazy hair. They used to have all the crazy hair. Okay, I thought um, about Yeah, we met we met them at Club Nicky's. Um, Club Nicky's was like a huge strip club back then, man. It was crazy. And uh we met like two or three cats from 112. They was there that night. Um and it was everybody was in the VIP, and we got invited into the VIP because of the dope dealing cats. And we didn't even know these dudes sold dope. We just thought they was just out there just tossing paper. You know what I'm saying? Just we thought they was rappers too because of the way they was dressed and the money they were spending and everything. Um, we met Jermaine Dupree and the brat at this car wash off of a uh, peach tree. Um, down in there, it's this one for it's this one car wash, man, where all the famous people used to always come. I remember seeing Diddy in a limo. He was sitting at the car wash talking to a couple people. Like it was a gang of people back then, man, at that freak nick. And um, I remember them closing the streets off and us going to the underground mall and Lenox Mall. Yeah, uh, that was like one of the biggest moments, other than like doing shows here with like Charlie Chan and DJ Sir Thurl and all of them here in, in the city. But that was like the biggest moment that I that I can remember that I had the most fun with. You know, uh, interacting with Lil John down there and meeting his artist. Her name was uh, Ubi or something like that back then. Yeah, I, I remember all of that. It was pretty cool. All right, I have to ask one final question, I think. Seems appropriate for this. Mm-hmm. Why did it all end? I feel like you was on account of a, a right track. How long you say you did it for? Eight years, I want to say? Yeah, it was like um, from 2001 to like maybe 2006. And then off and on till about 2010, because at that time we had started trying to develop artists and start, you know, we had our kids, our kids, we, we wrote a song for them and they did a song and um, 
And then we had an R&B artist who could really, really sing. And we was trying to get her together, named Miss R&B. Like we, we had a whole lot of, um, we had a whole lot going on, but the problem was, man, was like, I ran all the business end of everything and my homeboy ran the production team and all of the studio stuff. And um, doing the little shows we were doing and traveling and moving around, man, it just got really expensive, bro. Like when, when Left Eye and TLC and all of them was saying how the money go because you got to spend it on certain stuff that really provides for the label. They wasn't, they wasn't wrong, bro. Cause like paying for security, um, renting cars so you can get places. Cause back then we didn't have Uber and all of that. You know, you, you had to rent a car or something, you know, a conversion van or something like that. Um, just spending money on food, clothes, props for, uh, shows, you know, just all kinds of little stuff like that, man. So that way you can stay relevant in the game, man. It, it kind of ate my pockets up and, Instead of me going for broke and just winding up with nothing at all, I kind of like wound up filing bankruptcy and um, taking the rest of the money that I had and investing in my lawn car service that I actually have right now. And that's actually pretty successful. Yeah, yeah. That's dope. So what is, what has it been like for you now? Because you said earlier that um, people kind of know your name. They know your law care service. They know yeah. you from the rap game. What is it like now having left your mark on the city where you, you came up in and stuff like that? What is it like for you now watching these younger cast kind of kind of try to do the same thing? It's fun, actually, man. And I actually like talking to a lot of them, like giving them the word, man. Like, I don't never charge none of these little guys for no game. I kind of just speak to them, man. Like, I was I always been a stickler on God speaking through people. And... You know, uh, I don't I don't feel like uh, there's such thing as coincidences. I feel like everything happened for a reason. You know what I'm saying? So whenever I see young guys that's really trying to do it and not just out here on no BS, I, I talk to them and I give them some insight. Um, you know, some of them, I, I give them the right directions to go in. I have some guys that come to me and talk to me about managing their money and trying to figure out, you know, the next move and how they should how they should take the next step with their little personal businesses and stuff like that. And um, I don't be charging nobody nothing for none of that. I just feel like, you know, it's cool to see everybody get their piece of the pie. Like, I'm not greedy, man. I eat what I'm going to eat, and then I push away from the table. You know what I'm saying? So everybody else can sit down and do what they do. And um, I think a lot of people admire that. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs myself, man, you know, here in the city that own small businesses that have strived like my homeboy, Corey, man, he owned 2K Styles Barbershop. Like, I got my hair cut by him and met him in 2000. You know what I'm saying? And it's 2021. And now he got two barbershops and his his barbershops are in the city manuals that he's in in St. Anne. So, like, whenever you go to St. Anne, he's in his own listing as a small black business in the city. You know what I'm saying? So, like a lot of us really have been doing this for a while, man, and we work hard. So we all acknowledge each other. When we see each other, we all, you know, show each other love, man. Try to take a few minutes and, and you know, give us, give each other the, our flowers right now. You know what I'm saying? I like that. I like that. This has been a dope conversation, brother. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. You know, I'm always down to, to rap with you, man, for sure. Likewise, man. Let them know where to find you and your podcast at, and more importantly, let them know what the final episodes you were talking about with depression and stuff like that. I think that's really important. 
eye opening for a lot of people. Well, um, of course, man, every platform that I'm on is at a dollar show, Bobby dollar show. Um, you can find me on bobbydollarshow.com. Um, all my episodes, as far as uh, anxiety and depression goes with my mental health series is on Spotify, Apple music, Google music, um, pod chaser. I mean, anywhere you can listen to your, your favorite podcast. Um, and I appreciate it, man. Like, check it out. I didn't do the whole mental health situation to try to earn no money or to get monetized or nothing like that. I did it because I felt like people deserve, you know, to know that there's other people out there just like them. You know what I'm saying? But uh, that's that's it, man. Twitter, Instagram, everything. Dollars. Bobby Dollar Show. Well said. Thank you for coming on, brother. And as always, Delvin Cox Experience, we are out. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Delvin Cox Experience. If you like more content, go on patreon.com slash Delvin Cox Experience. There, there is more exclusive podcasts, including I'm the Podcaster, He's the DJ, that is the hip-hop podcast I do with Mr. Tim Hines, as well as the Boondocks, which is a Boondocks review show I do with my son, Delvin Jr. With that being said, I want to give a special shout-out to Patreon producers, Shirley Walker, Ghost Rider UK, and Mikey Famine. Thank you. God bless. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.